Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is August the 16th, 2019. Time is flying. It's hard to believe that we're getting toward the end of the summer vacation. Kids getting ready to go back to school, maybe to the relief of their parents. Um, I certainly remember those days, but um, they are in my rearview mirror as they are in my kids' rearview mirrors. But this program... And and the things that I do are for uh, my children and your children. It's about preserving America, protecting American lives, the American dream, not about xenophobia, not about being anti-anybody, except perhaps corrupt politicians um, and journalists, so-called, betray what should be their, their own solemn oath, if you will, to tell the truth, to report the news as objectively and on a fact-based level as possible. Unfortunately, uh, we live in the twilight zone. I'm convinced that Rod Serling is writing the script. Those of you who are familiar with me and familiar with my program know my background. I'm a retired senior special agent of what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization Service, an agency that was sliced, diced, uh, reconstituted, after the terror attacks of 9-11, wherein, by the way, the 9-11 Commission found that principally not only the attacks of 9-11, but other terrorist attacks carried out by foreign terrorists on American soil were only possible, only possible, because of multiple failures of the immigration system. So you would have thought that that would have created enough incentive, enough of an impetus for politicians, irrespective of political orientation, to be clear that we need to secure our borders, enforce our immigration laws, not based on race, not based on religion, and our laws have nothing to do with that. You wouldn't know it to listen to the media, going back to what I said just a moment ago about the mainstream media. Our immigration laws are about keeping out aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, mental illness, criminals, terrorists, spies. Human rights, human rights violators, fugitives from justice, aliens who've committed immigration fraud, aliens who've been previously deported, aliens who have no permission to work because if they did work, they would displace Americans. Uh, and as we will get to a little bit later on this evening, aliens who are likely to become public charges. We will talk about that because it's certainly in the news today. But I want everybody to understand the true significance of immigration law enforcement, and not just on the Mexican border. This notion that it's all about the Mexican border is insane. It leads to bigotry. It leaves us vulnerable. We need to understand that the United States of America has not four border states, you know, the usual nonsense, California, New Mexico, Texas, Arizona, uh uh-uh. We are a nation of 50 border states. Any state that has an international airport, any state that lies along the Canadian as well as the Mexican border, and any state that has access to America's 95,000 miles of meandering coastline are all border states. That's not to say that we must not um, secure the Mexican border. We absolutely must. That border is dangerous. It's the only place where the third world and the first world collide. The corruption and violence of Mexico pours across our borders. The drug trade, the potential for terrorists, the situation in Latin America is very disturbing, very disturbing. Middle Eastern terrorist organizations are operating throughout Latin America. Hezbollah, which has its origins in Lebanon but is a puppet of Iran, is operating freely throughout Latin America with tens of thousands of forces, the Quds forces, the Iranian shock, the Red Guard, so-called, and Hezbollah itself, which is a terrorist organization, operating throughout Latin America 
in close conjunction, close coordination with the narcotics traffickers, the human traffickers who are operating in Latin America. This provides a lot of money for, for Iran and for their terrorist operations. It also provides Iran with the opportunity to move their operatives, their sleeper agents, into the United States, and they have. And a number of them have been arrested. And if you go to my articles in Front Page Magazine or things that I've written at um, um, uh, The Social Contract, you will see that clear nexus. It is foolish, it is naive to think that this does not pose a clear present and immediate danger to national security and public safety. This is not a statement of, of bigotry. The reality is that Mexico is a violent country where the drug cartels control an awful lot. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of guns, guns flowing from the United States to Mexico, uh, drugs flowing from Mexico to the United States, money from the United States flowing to Mexico, and this big circular flow of money, drugs, weapons, is killing people on both sides of the border, killing wholesale bloodshed. Nobody wins. Nobody wins, except perhaps the people that profit off the drug trade. Now, who profits off the drug trade? Well, you might think the cartels. You'd be right. You might think terrorist organizations because they use the drug money to fund terrorism. But that drug money, folks, flows through banks. It flows through Wall Street. It flows through real estate. That money is keeping a lot of our industries afloat. It's the same thing that happened in Florida back when the Colombians were running the drugs right into Miami. Go watch Miami Vice. All that money, all that violence emanated from the Colombian drug trade. By the way, Mexico now has a big chunk of that drug trade because as American law enforcement put up roadblocks, protected our southern shore of Florida from those boats from Colombia and then worked with the Colombians to reach into Colombia to go after the cartel leaders there, the Colombians made a decision. They made a tactical decision. It's a lot safer to move the drugs, not into Florida, and occasionally you'll still see speedboats come up the coast that way, make no mistake. But they decided to partner with Mexico, the Mexican criminals. And that's when the Mexican border erupted, because suddenly Colombia was pushing the drugs into Mexico, giving up perhaps half of their profits, but gaining insulation gaining the ability to use a 2,000-plus-mile border to infiltrate their drugs into the United States. They're also flowing in in, in airplanes and cargo ships. It's flowing into America through all of these openings, the stiv that we call our border. So it's not just the Mexican border. But if we simply say either the border or not, then we're going to lose. We have to be able to figure out where the drugs are flowing, where the illegal aliens are flowing, and shut off the flow. Uh, you know, when, when I did my, one of my very first hearings before Congress, and I've been before Congress, I guess, 17 times, I suspect I won't be getting any more phone calls to come down and testify because I've angered the people on both sides of the aisle, and the landscape have changed. Ever since Citizens United was decided by the Supreme Court, which meant that unlimited amounts of money could be pumped into political campaigns, Um, We really need a new position in the government called the official auctioneer. I saw an immediate change after that decision because the amounts of money were staggering, staggering. You want to win office, you better get money. You want money, you better do the bidding of the people with the big fat checkbooks. Suddenly, this government was no longer going to represent the American people. Who could ever forget Mitt Romney saying that companies are people too? What a genius. What a genius. Uh, Look, and and Romney's saying, well, we need to staple green cards onto the diplomas of foreign students so when they get those degrees at our universities, they don't go halfway across the world. Well, if Mitt is listening, and I doubt he is, but if Mitt is listening, here's the point. If you stop educating foreign students and start educating more American kids, then the worst they'll do is go halfway across town when they get their degrees maybe go halfway across our country. But we are educating foreign nationals who go back to their country, and we can talk about China in that regard. Then they wind up as our adversaries who we trained. That's nuts. 
we're operating against our own best interests all for the holy dollar, the almighty buck. My goodness gracious. We have sold our future and our children's future and their children's future to the almighty buck. Never mind what happens to America 50 years from now or 30 years from now or 10 years from now. I'm going to make a killing today. Short-term profit, long-term disaster. That's where we are. That's where we are. And the idea of left or right, these aren't left or right issues. Full disclosure, I'm registered as a Democrat. I've always been a labor guy. My dad is always going to be one of my biggest heroes next to my mom. My dad was a tradesman, a construction worker, a plumber. Uh, there was an interesting point made on Fox News the other day where they said, we've got to stop calling tradesmen blue-collar workers. They're essential workers. We could do away with most of those thieving bankers. Forgive the <laughs> redundancy in that term. I love Bob Hope's line, you know, bankers are no one's friend. They'll only lend you money after you could prove you didn't need it in the first place. But where would doctors practice medicine if not for the construction workers who built those hospitals? If not for the technicians who build their x-ray machines and the MRI machines and all the other equipment, where would they be if there were no bathrooms, no running water, no electricity? They'd be sitting in the field trying to do surgery. Is that crazy? That's how essential so-called blue-collar workers are. And I got to tell you, if you give me a choice of having dinner with a bunch of white-collar, candy-ass, thieving bankers, con artists, if you will, because I didn't know the three-card Monty was a product. You give me a choice of having dinner with them or having dinner with a bunch of blue-collar tradesmen who actually do something for a living. They go home at night, and then when you drive by the next day, my dad would point to a building and say, Mike, I worked on that building. I went to Kennedy Airport when he worked on a hangar for TWA. Uh, I know that we have to always rebuild and change things, and it broke my heart when they took down that hangar. Because I would drive through Kennedy Airport. I worked at Kennedy Airport for the first four years of my career at, Kennedy, at the INS as an inspector at Kennedy Airport. And every time I drove by that hangar that my dad worked on, along with a whole gang of other blue-collar tradesmen, electricians and carpenters and plumbers and bricklayers and iron workers, in my mind's ear, I could still hear that great orchestra, the orchestra of instruments played by those tradesmen. Broke my heart to see the hangar go. I understand it had become obsolete, but it had a special place in my heart. My dad took me to the World's Fair because he worked on the World's Fair, and I saw it come together. These folks in those building trades can point to their achievements. You look at the skyline of New York. I guarantee you it wasn't built by bankers. It was built by hard hats, hard hats. Some of the toughest, bravest, most conscientious workers you'll find on this planet. That's who built that damn skyline. And that's who we insult. Oh, the work Americans won't do. I carried my dad off his job his last day of work. He was dying of lung cancer, in part because he smoked those god-awful Chesterfield cigarettes. I called them blowtorches. But also because he worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War. He wanted a piece of the action because his brother was ready in the Army Air Corps. And after the Sullivan brothers were killed in the Navy, all five brothers on one ship on one awful day, the military said, if you're the sole surviving male member of your family, the last to carry the name, you, can't be in, you cannot enlist. Well, my dad's brother was in. He couldn't get in. He said, I'm a plumber. If I can't go kill some Nazi bastards, at least I can help build those warships that will get the job done. So when I passed the Brooklyn Navy on, he went down to Louisiana as well. Um, I, I almost can feel my, my dad's presence, and it's been well over 50 years since I last got one of his great hugs. He was 57. I was 19 when he died. But that's who built America. The people he worked with like him. And I grew up around those people. And sometimes Donald Trump gives me fits because of the way he uses language. But he sounded like the construction workers I grew up around. Lots of black and white, very little gray, to the point. I remember my dad asking me some questions, and he expected direct yes or no answers. I can still see him looking over his eyeglasses, giving me what I call that father look if I displeased him. 
because he asked me a simple question, and I went on, and he would look at me and say, Mike, if I wanted a damn story, I'd ask you to tell me a story. It's just the way it was. These were tough guys who had a job that needed to be done, and they were very direct, no nonsense, get it done, period. And we've gotten to a situation where we're told that Americans don't do the job, the work Americans won't do. You pay an American a living wage, there isn't a damn job we can't do and do it better than anybody else. It was Americans who took us to the moon. It wasn't some other country. It was Americans. It was Americans who launched the communication satellite. Americans who sent the Voyager spacecraft out of the solar system. Americans did that. Then if you dare wave the flag in some communities today, you're looking for a fight. Waving the American flag on American soil is a problem? Look, America's had its problems over the years. So do people. So do all other countries. But I'll put America up against any other country on this planet, faults and all. And we try to correct our faults, unlike so many other countries. And what I find remarkable, and you go check this out, our Chinese trade partners, goodness gracious, they're our adversaries. They are bent on world domination. And their idea of a government is a government that controls their people and micromanages them down to how many breaths of air they take. They give people a social score. You get caught jaywalking by one of those cameras, and they have facial recognition uh, software. Your kid gets yanked out of school. You can't get on a bus. Sure, I want to live under that kind of a dictatorship, don't you? I'm just itching for it. We've lost our minds in this country. But you look at what China is trying to do with Hong Kong reneging on a deal that had been made. China doesn't make deals. They say one thing, do something else. Uh, if you want to talk about duplicitous conduct, untrustworthy uh, characters, you're talking about communist China, red China, public, People's Republic of China. It's communist China. Let's be clear what we're talking about. And what did we see at the demonstrations at the airport in Hong Kong. What were those demonstrators waving, folks? Well, if you didn't see it, they were waving American flags. Waving American flags. America's not a perfect country. No country is. But I will put America's record up against any other country, and I promise you, I promise you, you will see that it is and has been the best country in the world. We've made mistakes, absolutely, but we correct our mistakes. The problem we have today is that the politicians are no longer listening to the average American. They're supposed to we the people, in order to form a more perfect government, well, forget about we the people. It's the guy that writes the check. It's the guy that writes the check, or the gal that writes the check. And we're talking about amounts of money that are staggering. This is no longer freedom of expression. Oh, First Amendment, you know. This is about buying and renting public officials. This is a new form of prostitution wherein lots of Americans are getting screwed. These politicians will assume any position, no matter how illogical, uncomfortable, or contrary to common sense, but for the right price. Doesn't that sound a lot like a hooker? Think about it. Immigration law enforcement is not about bigotry. It's not about racism. But there's a lot of people making money by exploiting desperate people from all over the world. The exploitation of desperate people is not compassion. Not compassion. It is disgusting. If you can't control who comes into your country, you can't protect your country from criminals and terrorists. And the other side will say, well, wait a minute. Most of these people aren't criminals and terrorists. They're right. And they're right. But without a scorecard, and people who sneak into the country have no scorecard, they are entering surreptitiously. And Chuck Schumer, and I've made this point innumerable times back in, I think it was 2014, 2015, proposed federal legislation that would make trespassing on critical infrastructure or national landmarks a federal felony with a five-year jail sentence. He said, we need to put these people in jail because trespassing is dangerous in an era of terrorists. He's right. 
I actually agree with Chuck. But the same Chuck says that when you trespass on America, you've earned a pass to citizenship. The United States naturalizes hundreds of thousands of new citizens each and every year. The United States admits more than a million lawful immigrants every year, more than the rest of the world combined. You don't hear that in the media. Oh, there's no way for these people to come here. Yeah, there is a way. There's a lawful system that is the most generous in the world, perhaps too generous, because it has no integrity, because we have no way of interviewing these people. I want you to think about something. The Boeing 737 MAX crashed twice, hundreds of people killed, has been grounded. It has been grounded for months. Boeing tried to fix it. They couldn't. They ran into more problems. The airplane sits on the tarmac. They're shifting airlines out of certain airports because they've lost so much of their fleet. Boeing is taking a beating. I don't even know if they can survive. People are going, companies are now going from Boeing to their arch rival Airbus. They want nothing to do with Boeing. This is corporate greed at its worst. And from what I've read, they actually were hiring students and foreign contractors to do the software for this brand new airplane. What blew my mind was when they said, well, there was an optional warning system that might have tipped off the pilots about the problem with the computer, but that was an $80,000 option. Stop everything. We're talking about an airliner that flies seven miles up, carries hundreds of people at, you know, 80%, 85% the speed of sound, cost $150 million, but a warning system was an $80,000 option. A safety system was an $80,000 option. Folks, this isn't buying a car and spending extra money on a sunroof. Corporate greed. How much more can we squeeze our customer? Squeeze that dollar. Squeeze that nickel. Profits at all costs. Well, hundreds of people were killed. I can't even imagine what that lawsuit is going to look like. Boeing is on shaky ground. William Boeing, who founded that great airline company, he's pinwheeling in his grave, I promise you. But because it has been shown that the airplane is still not safe, it sits on the ground, we have naturalized terrorists again and again and again and again. We've admitted terrorist reports of entry again and again and again, and nothing has stopped. You have both parties in. We need comprehensive immigration reform. Nancy Pelosi said it just the other day. The solution to the border crisis is comprehensive immigration reform. Never mind that we have no way to interview all these people, let alone do a field investigation. Never mind that 19 terrorists on 9-11 killed tens of thousands of people. Yes, I know. We keep hearing the 3,000. That's a lie. And I'll tell you why it's a lie. Because if you look at the bill that just passed, I wrote about it for Front Page Magazine, over 20,000 people have since filed for benefits for themselves or because a loved one died because of their exposure to the toxins that were released on 9-11. And more are dying and more are signing up. And that's why this bill is going to go forward for decades, because we also know that the people who came home with all that garbage on their clothing sickened their families. So children right now, God forbid, may be getting sick. 19 hijackers, 19 hijackers. On 9-11, we lost in round numbers, and I hate round numbers because every goddamn life is a separate murder. Alan, Green, uh, uh, um, uh, Alan Dershowitz made that point when I went to memorial service. My, uh, my first wife, may she rest in peace, her parents went through the Holocaust. Her mother was in a concentration camp, so every year they got invitations so that they could go to the memorial service. So I went to beautiful Temple Emmanuel. Temple Emmanuel, for those of you not from New York, not familiar with it, is the equivalent for Jews what St. Patrick's Cathedral is for Catholics in New York City. New York is such a great town. I couldn't imagine living anywhere else because of our diversity. My insistence on enforcing immigration laws isn't about xenophobia. It's about safety. It's about well-being. But it, and, and what's interesting is I went to a sermon or, or a, a talk that was given as part of this memorial service by Dershowitz, and he quoted, of all people, Stalin, who said one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. He said when there's lots of people killed, you must always multiply it by the number one, because each and every separate person who dies, and I don't care if it's the six million Jews, the 13 million who were killed by Hitler, whatever the numbers are, always multiply. 
multiply it by one because each and every person who loses his or her life is a separate and discrete tragedy, murder, whatever you want to call it. So you look at the carnage from 9-11, roughly the same as what happened at Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. It took the entire Japanese fleet attacking us at Pearl Harbor to cause that devastation. On 9-11, we had the same level of devastation for the one day at the hands of 19 young men barely out of their teens because they were able to enter the United States by gaming the immigration system and exploiting multiple holes in that system. And what have we done about it? Bupkis. Bupkis. Yes, agencies didn't communicate, so now we're talking to each other. I'm excited. I'm wetting my pants. We have no idea of the millions who are here illegally now how many bad actors there are and how many does it take. Look what a couple did in San Bernardino. Look what the Tsarnaev brothers did up in Boston, Massachusetts. And one of them, by the way, was a United States citizen. He naturalized, and that whole family got political asylum. We can't go back to Russia. We can't go back to Russia. And as soon as we gave them lawful status, they hopped on airplanes and went back to Russia. They obviously lied through their damn teeth. But rather than hire more ICE agents, Bob Goodlatte, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, proposed legislation that if an alien claims asylum and then goes back to their country afterwards, if there's no regime change, you can prosecute them. Do we need that law? Of course not. It's all part of the Magic Act. It's all part of the Kabuki Theater. The fact that they went back is enough. You don't need a separate crime. They went back to the country. No, they lied on the application. How do you know? Imagine someone says, I can't go home, I can't go home, and then you find out that they, you know, I lost my keys, I can't go home, you look in their pockets, you find they have the keys, and they just want to spend time in your house and eat your food. You know, they're they're not leveling with you. We didn't need a new law, that's the bull that they play with us. We needed more agents, but that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen, because if you had more agents, they would find the employers who hire illegal aliens intentionally, okay, If you had more agents, they would go after crooked lawyers. You certainly don't want that happening. So we don't have the agents. We have laws with no agents. It's a Ferrari with no gas in the tank. How important are the agents? I want to read this to you. This comes from the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. This is the report that was published by the government printing office. It's an official report. It's the companion to the 9-11 Commission report. And in this, excuse me, this report was authored by the federal agents and the attorneys who were assigned to work with the 9-11 Commission. The purpose for the 9-11 Commission, by the way, folks, go back to that story about the Boeing airliner. Is this the same as the FAA and NTSB going out there when those planes crashed? Why? To figure out why the plane crashed and figure out what we have to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. That's why we had a 9-11 Commission. This wasn't a history lesson. They didn't say, oh, let's write a good story for the history books. I'm sure historians will look at it. But the whole damn point to the exercise is to make sure we don't get attacked again. That was the purpose. You'd never know it, would you? So the 9-11 Commission staff report talks about interior enforcement. And here's what they have to say. That's the mission of ICE, by the way. Well, let me, let me go back to that other point that I made, because we are a nation of 50 border states. And this is on page 54, and it's under the title, 3.2 Terrorist Travel Tactics by Plot. And here's an excerpt from that section of the, of the report. Although there is evidence that some land and sea border entries of terrorists without inspection occurred, and that's what happens when people run the border, entering without inspection. They don't enter undocumented. That's Orwellian bull. There's no such thing as entering undocumented. Undocumented? Really? Try to carry a gun in New York and tell the police you're an undocumented gun owner. See how that get, how far that gets you. Undocumented. Why are we still using these Orwellian terms? The word alien, for the record, simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. There's no insult there, but clarity. But clarity. It was funny that Geraldo today was all upset over the public charge thing. How in the world do we blur the distinction between legal immigrants and illegal aliens, or, or whatever he had said? Because this was done by design by Jimmy Carter. I've written about it. I've spoken about it. And I'm not going to waste our precious time on it. 
but this is a game of words. This is 1984. This isn't political correctness. This is Orwellian newspeak. Undocumented. My rear end undocumented. They enter without inspection. They enter surreptitiously. They trespass at a minimum. You know, I was on Fox News not long ago, a couple of weeks ago, and I made the point. I asked the young lady, Julian, I said to her, would you get on an airplane if you saw people sneaking past the TSA? And she gasped. She said, oh, my God. I said, then why are we being forced to live among millions of foreign nationals who evaded a similar vetting process conducted at ports of entry? And her jaw dropped. When I walked off the set, I got high fives from everybody on the set at Fox News. That's what we're doing. Think of the madness to this. And by the way, the word alien shows up in Dream Act, alien minors. It becomes acceptable when you can use that word for the narrative. Otherwise, oh, don't you dare use it. Don't try this at home. Goodness gracious. So let me get back to this. I, I sometimes get myself so riled up thinking of the stupidity of our average neighbors as Americans and the duplicitous conduct of the politicians from both damn parties. They're certainly not on our side, are they? Although there is evidence that some land and sea border entries of terrorists without inspection occurred, these conspirators mainly subverted the legal entry system by entering at airports. In so doing, they relied on a wide variety of fraudulent documents, on aliases, and on government corruption. Because terrorist operations were not suicide missions in the early to mid-1990s, once in the United States, terrorists and their supporters tried to get legal immigration status that would permit them to remain here primarily by committing serial or repeated immigration fraud, by claiming political asylum. Think of what's going on on the border. These are all asylum applicants, okay, claiming political asylum and by marrying Americans. Many of these tactics would remain largely unchanged and undetected throughout the 1990s and up to the 9-11 attack. That's not the case anymore, though, folks. We know, and we're still allowing this. We're still encouraging this. And it goes on and makes this point, and this is what I want you to focus on. Thus, abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. Let me read that again. Thus, abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activities. It would remain largely unknown since no agency of the United States government had terrorist travel patterns until after 9-11. This lack of attention meant critical opportunity to disrupt terrorist travel and therefore deadly terrorist operations were missed. And you have the lunatics calling for the disbandment of ICE. Do away with ICE. You have people shooting up ICE buildings. You have people standing outside of ICE offices screaming at the agents and at the people who work for a company known as GEO, which, by the way, also works for the Obama administration. We know where you sleep. We know where your children go to school. We know where you buy your dog food. We will get you. And all we're hearing about violence is the white supremacist. I want to be clear about it. I have no use for any supremacist, white, black, or purple, whether it's Black Lives Matter saying, what do we want, dead cops? When do we want them now? And then they, the other chant that they had was pigs in a blanket, you know, frying like bacon, frying like bacon. Really? But no one's talking about that. Michael Brown, if you remember, was a thug. He was a big black kid who committed a strong arm robbery. He was about six foot one, six foot two. The media played up the fact that he wasn't out of his teens. Teenage black killed, black young man killed. Okay. How? A police officer told him to stop walking in the gutter, in the street, get on the sidewalk. You think a police officer has the right to tell you that? Michael Brown charged him, tried to get his gun away. It was a grand jury investigation. The Justice Department under President Obama investigated what happened. Michael Brown lost his life because of his own actions that night. And now you have the Democrats saying that Michael Brown was murdered. That was not a murder. Okay. 
This is the incendiary language. This is crying fire in a crowded theater when there is fire. This is not a First Amendment right. If we're going to stop the violence, we're going to start with controlling the rhetoric and the lies. I have no use for the KKK. I have no use for the Nazis. I have no use for the skinheads. I have no use for anybody who calls for killing police officers or, or, or shutting down debate on college campuses. You look at Antifa, the way a conservative reporter got bashed in the head. He, according to reports, has a brain injury now. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk purely about the white supremacists. We're going to pick sides. We should be on the side of America, folks, not on the side of left or right, uh, conservative, liberal. No, 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 no. You perpetrate violence, you need to go to jail. You need to face consequences. And I don't care what side you're on. You're not on any right side, any proper side, if you are an advocate for violence or you practice violence. That is the antithesis of what this country was based on. And then look at the rhetoric that came after that the raids. And I, I wrote about this for Front Page Magazine. A couple of weeks ago in Mississippi, ICE agents conducted a massive field operation. Initially, they took, I believe it was 680 suspected illegal aliens into custody working at a meat processing plant. Tell you what, at the beginning of my career with the INS, I participated in many such field operations. In fact, back then, it wasn't even illegal to knowingly hire illegal aliens. So we went into factories. We went into meat processing plants. We went into restaurants. We went into the farms in upstate New York. I actually broke my ankle chasing an illegal alien across an onion field. Myself and a bunch of other agents wound up falling into an irrigation ditch. Um, That's what we did for a living. You're here illegally. You're subject to arrest. You don't become less illegal by getting further from the border. If somebody robs a bank, they don't tell the police officers, if you don't catch them in the bank, let him go because he's no longer in the bank. No, you, you, you track him across the country. When an alien enters the United States illegally, it's called a continuing offense. It's a 20-year felony if you reenter the country after you're deported. I worked with Senator Al D'Amato way back when in the 80s to write that law. It's something I'm very proud of. It's something that is now the most frequently prosecuted crime for the Justice Department for the United States. If you're a murderer, a rapist, aggravated felon is the term that the law uses. You get deported, you come back, you're looking at a maximum now of 20 years in jail. And so if an alien runs the border and we find him in New York, let's say, we don't send him back to Texas because he says, oh, I came in through El Paso. No, the venue is where found because it's a continuing crime. So wherever you're caught, that's where you're going to stand trial for unlawful entry after deportation. So if you're working illegally in a factory, you're subject to being arrested and deported. Why are we deporting these people? Because if you don't, what's the point of having a border? Why bother with the charade of having inspectors at international airports and ports of entry asking to see your passport if there's no repercussion to running the border and coming in without being inspected? Why bother? You have to be an idiot to want to come to America legally if there's no negative consequences to running our borders or violating our laws. Why bother? Why are we spending 19, I believe it's 19 billion a year on customs and border protection if it doesn't matter how you went to the United States? I might be wrong with that number, but it's in the teens, the teens of billions, whether it's 15 or 19 billion. It's a huge part of the budget, 60,000 plus people working at Customs and Border Protection, and that includes the inspectors at ports of entry, the job I did for the first four years of my career. If it doesn't matter how you enter the country, then we should really be shutting down that whole inspections process. It's irrelevant. It's foolish. It's just a waste of money. That would be crazy. You can't protect your country against an invasion by criminals and drug dealers and terrorists if you have no sort of a process conducted at ports of entry to figure out who's coming into your country and stop the bad guys. You look through your people before you unlock your door. Could you imagine the government ordering you to leave your door open at night? That's what these people that are talking about open borders want. The immigration laws are designed to protect us. It's not about bigotry. 
So this factory gets raided. And these people are arrested. Many of them committed identity theft. Anyone who's ever been a victim of identity theft knows how devastating that can be, how it can really screw things up for you. It could cost you your job. It could cost you a house that you might want to buy or a car loan. I've known people that have suffered identity theft, and it took them years and years to finally dig out of the hole created by these people who stole their identity. And one of the biggest reasons for identity theft is illegal immigration. You have people working in factories. You don't know who they are. I arrested a guy in a factory who actually it was a glass factory in Brooklyn. Nice guy. Told us he was a naturalized citizen from Honduras. Spoke very nice English. He was a nice-looking guy, clean cut. The owner said, oh, he's a good guy. He's been working for me for a year. He keys to my factory. He opens for me in the morning, and he closes at night if I have to go somewhere. Oh, he's been to my house. He's had dinner with my family. Well, I couldn't find a record. I called the office. They ran a computer check. We couldn't find anything to show when he naturalized, even though he told us he naturalized. So I said, you're going to have to come downtown. We put handcuffs on him. And as we took him away, he's working the water fountain with the handcuffs behind his back. I said, uh-oh, this guy's a problem. So I looped his belt through his handcuffs to make sure he didn't slide them under his rear end in the back of my car. Actually, he went into my partner's car, another team's car. There were two teams. On the way in, I get a call on the radio on the tactical frequency, so they're just car to car, so we're not tying up the whole bandwidth in those days. And, and my partner, my, my buddies in the other car said, we've got a story for you. And I said, how good on a scale of 1 to 10? He said, eh, 28, 29, I don't know. I said, that good? They said, you're going to fall over. We pulled into the garage, and before we get him out of the car, I said, what happened? He said, well, the guy lied about his identity. He's really not a naturalized citizen. He is from Honduras. He was found guilty by a guilty plea of manslaughter. He probably committed murder and pleaded down to a lesser charge of manslaughter. He did time, years in jail, got out of jail. He was deported as a, as a guy who was convicted of, of manslaughter, came back illegally, got arrested by the police on another crime. They notified immigration. We prosecuted him for reentry after deportation. He was serving a prison sentence in a federal penitentiary, and he escaped and went to work in this glass factory. We don't know what we don't know. The owner of the factory almost had a heart attack when we told him the story. He said, this guy has the keys to my house. He has the keys to my car. He's driven my car. I said, yeah, well, congratulations. Congratulations. You're lucky nothing else happens here. So you've got all these people working at a food processing plant. And by the way, if you worry about terrorism, I've been told by scientists it's very difficult to poison a reservoir. There's so much water. You'd need a convoy of tanker trucks, and very often the process that we use to clean water, I mean, think what gets into that water, right? Everything is in that water. To clean it, we, you would probably uh, get most of the poisons out of the water, even if someone tried to poison a reservoir. But if some terrorist got a job in a food processing plant and can sprinkle bacteria or poison toxins into that hamburger meat that's in the grinder, I don't want to imagine what the consequences would be. This is critical infrastructure, folks, the food supply, the food supply. So you have people working in, food, in these meatpacking plants, don't know who they are, working illegally. They get food, and the meat immediately trips over themselves to get to the children of the people who are arrested so they could put a child on TV screaming. I have to tell you, I'm a parent. I have four children. I have two incredible grandchildren. I'm a lucky man. Lucky beyond words. Children are something that we're all very sensitive about. It's terrible to see kids screaming when their parents are arrested. When I arrested people, if there were children there, I would do everything possible to get the kids out of the room so they would not see their parents or their uncle or whoever it was getting handcuffed. It disturbs a rational, decent person to see this. But when the IRS rounds people up a week before tax day to make the point that if you try to swindle us, we're going to come for you, have you ever seen the media race to the houses of the people arrested for tax fraud to show their children screaming inconsolably? Do you ever see the children screaming when the parent gets arrested for driving uh, a, a stolen car or something? No. 
People get arrested every day of the week. They're separated from their children. That doesn't make it to the 6 o'clock news. So we exploit the kids. We have screaming children. Nancy Pelosi says the ICE agents have created a climate of fear. I have news for you. I was on Neil Cavuto a number of years ago. Neil said to me, Mike, when will you be satisfied that we're enforcing our immigration laws effectively enough? And I thought about it for a moment. I hadn't had time to really collect my thoughts. Usually they send a car for me. This was a last-minute thing. So I drove myself. One of their producers was actually sitting in my car at a fire hydrant in front of the studio. So I didn't even have time to collect my thoughts. And I kind of blurted out the first thing that popped into my head. And I said, I'll know that we're serious about immigration enforcement when an alien in the United States is as upset about correspondence from DHS as you or I would be if we got an envelope from the IRS. And it just stopped Neil in his tracks, and he looked at me and goes, wow, that's profound. Wow, what a great statement. Law enforcement stop and trade is intimidation, a climate of fear. If you drink and drive, we're going to find you. If you don't put on your seatbelt, click it or ticket. There's always a negative, except in immigration. We can't deport them all, so let's give everybody a green card. We'll get them out of the shadows. They don't want them out of the shadows. They want them in the waiting rooms of those damn law firms. How many lawyers are in politics on both sides of the aisle? Bob Goodlatte was an immigration lawyer. Zoe Lofgren, the current chairperson of the House Immigration Subcommittee, is an immigration lawyer. This is a cottage industry. Legalize them all, and we'll have an endless supply of clients. That's what this is about. Now, here's something that I want you to think about. The Democratic Party, and I agree with this, want to see a $15 an hour minimum wage. I have conservative friends who disagree with me, and they get nuts. But that's okay. We're Americans. We're supposed to have these discussions. That's what America is about. You celebrate the First Amendment by disagreeing with people, but you do it respectfully, and you do it with facts, not name-calling. You know, it sickens me when I hear the things being said about Donald Trump. If you don't like him, that's fine. If you don't like his policies, that's cool. But give me a reason about the policies. Don't tell me that he's a xenophobe and a bigot and a this and a that. Let's talk about issues. We never hear the issues, you see. And that always tells me you've got nothing. You went to the cupboard and came back and the cupboard was bare. $15 an hour minimum wage. In 1983, do you know what they were paying people in the meatpacking industry, folks? Sit down and put on your seatbelt. In 1983, the going wage was somewhere between $18 and $20 per hour. Then, 35 years ago, that was a solid middle-class wage, especially if you're living in an agricultural town. If you're living in in Arkansas, if you're living in a town in Mississippi, um, in an agrarian culture, that's a big chunk of money. You could buy a house and a car and put your kids through school on that. Today, that job, if the the level of increase in in, in money and inflation uh, was to follow through, you'd be making over $30 an hour, more than double the minimum wage that the Democrats are calling from. But that never happened because that's when Reagan started talking about his amnesty. Okay? So suddenly, if you go to my audit, you'll see the Labor Department with with links and everything. So I'm not going to just speculate. As an agent, I was all about facts. I'm still all about facts. Today, the average worker in the meatpacking industry is making between $11 and $12 per hour because we have flooded those industries with illegal aliens who work for substandard wages under substandard conditions. And then they say, well, Americans won't take the job. Well, guess what Breitbart reported? The day after the raid, there was a long line of American and lawful immigrant workers looking to take the jobs that had been vacated by the illegal aliens that were taken into custody by ICE. Every politician runs on the promise that I will create jobs. I don't care if they're running for dog catcher. I will create jobs. I confronted Newt Gingrich when I was in South Carolina at the Tea Party Convention during the second uh, uh, election of Obama. They gave me 25 minutes on stage right after, right after Newt Gingrich spoke, former Speaker of the House. I confronted him at the bar. He said, great speech, Mr. Speaker, but with all the talk about creating jobs, why don't you talk about the need to liberate jobs? He said, how do you liberate jobs? He said, you enforce the immigration laws. It takes a long time to create a job. You have to have an idea. You've got to get people to agree with you. You've got to get funding, whether people invest or you get a loan. Then you've got to build a facility. This takes time. You raid a factory, 
the same day that the illegal alien workforce goes out the back door, you bring in the legal workforce, U.S. citizens, lawful immigrants, men, women, I don't care what their last name is, what their skin color is, they've got no waiting, no money involved, no investment of time, just get the job. Which looked at his wife, looked at me, said to her, let's get the hell out of here. I said, why are you doing this issue? Didn't want to hear about it. Didn't know that Obama sent his 300 illegal employment authorization, which made them to jobs. And by the way, you should know this. This is a Trump administration. Every administration, if you as an employer don't employ law immigrants, people who have permission to work, and pass over citizens of the United States, you can be charged with violating civil rights because an alien who is authorized to work in the United States have as, has as much right to that job as an American born in the United States. And if you play games with that, I promise you, if you're discovered, ICE is going to come out and you're going to pay a price for it. So please understand, you had all these Democrats jumping up and down. How dare you arrest those people working in, those, in that meat processing plant? Really? Tell that to the people who now have a job, Americans and lawful immigrant workers, because of ICE doing its job. This should be a routine matter. And then you have sanctuary cities, and, and there's been a whole bunch of people that have been released, including illegal aliens with firearms, aliens who've been convicted of armed robbery, attempted murder, raping children, ICE lodges a detainer, and they're releasing these kids in North Carolina in one particular newsletter. I'm going to be writing about this. Why in the world would you not want to cooperate with ICE to get a rapist out of the country so he doesn't pose a threat to the community? And some of these people are now at large. They were in custody. ICE said, we want to take them, and they snuck them out the back door. A guy with a gun out the back door. Meanwhile, all we're hearing about now is red flag laws so that Americans with guns can lose their firearms, and we can have that discussion. I worry about red flag because anybody can make an accusation. We're a country of due process. Red flag, really? So that means if your neighbor doesn't like you because maybe your car blocked his driveway and he's a little bit off the wall, he calls the police and says, hey, Charlie has a gun and he's nuts. And the next thing you know, the cops are knocking on your door saying, where's your guns? Your neighbor says you're crazy, or they won't even tell you who said it. Look, the First Amendment exists not only to protect Americans from criminals, but to protect Americans from tyranny. The Founding Fathers established the Second Amendment because of their experiences with Great Britain and tyranny. Um, those amendments to the Constitution are, are critically important. We need to be rational. But if you're that concerned about bad guys with guns on the street, why in the world would you turn loose an illegal alien who is subject to deportation, who has already been convicted of a gun offense, and use that gun to commit a violent crime, and you're going to turn that guy loose so that ICE can't get their hands on him? And some of those people are still out there. The blood is on the hands of those officials who turned them loose. We had this happen in, in Maryland, where two members of MS-13 were charged with attempted murder in the first degree, and for whatever reason they were allowed bail. ICE wanted them, and guess what? They let them go, and before they could be recaptured, they killed a 14-year-old girl. I believe she was a Latina, because usually it's within the same ethnic group, whether it's the Russian mob, Asian organized crime, because these folks live within those communities. Killed this girl with baseball bats and knives because they thought she had spoken to the police. She did not need to die. She died because of the corruption of the sheriff who refused to cooperate with ICE. Folks, these aren't victimless crimes. This isn't xenophobia. This is madness. This is madness. The rhetoric from, from the politicians, Cuomo calling ICE agents thugs, Pelosi running around talking about a climate of fear. If you're here as a lawful immigrant, Imagine the insult to you. We refuse to make a distinction between lawful immigrants and illegal aliens. We're going to call everybody immigrants. And if you dare make a distinction, somehow you're a xenophobe. 
People that walk out of the bank with money in their hand may be customers, but they could also be bank robbers. Imagine if we refused to draw a distinction. Stores want people to come into the store to make purchases, otherwise they get a business. But they have to be careful about shoplifters. Now, I agree that many people who come to the United States do so because they're desperate. And that brings us to the public charge issue. The public charge section that's in Title VIII United States Code, excuse me, Section 1182, and I believe it's Section 4, Subsection 4, the idea is that we're not saying if you're poor, you can't come to America. My mom came here as a 13-year-old, lived in a rooming house by herself, worked in an umbrella factory. Uh, I can't even imagine what that must have been like for her. Had to support herself on $3 a week as a 13-year-old living all by herself. No one's saying that that's going to change. What we're saying is if you wind up on public assistance, we're not going to give you a green card unless you have a family member who's going to vouch for you, uh, take care of your expenses. We can't bring the world to America and pay their expenses. We will go bankrupt. You can't run a hotel and tell people if you can't afford to pay for the hotel, we'll pay for you. We'll, we'll feed you. You can stay here indefinitely. That's wrong. And, and what's so remarkable about the media, the way they lie, there were articles written. Associated Press was big on this one. that it was picked up by all the other news media. The president found the law that was written in 1882, and he's using it now against the immigrants. The public charge concept first came about in 1882. That's right. But the way the articles have been written, it made it sound as though afterwards we stopped doing it. The point is that that provision of law has been an integral part of every rewrite of the immigration laws since 1882, including right now. It's on the books right now. So why not simply say that the president is looking to enforce standing law rather than say the president reached back to 1882? No, he didn't. He didn't get in his time machine. He looked at the books and saw the law, and the law says if you're a public charge, you are excludable, with certain exceptions. People applying for asylum, they're in a desperate situation. They waive it for them. People who have family here who can pay for them, who can provide an affidavit of support, will waive it for them. So you bring in your father who's in a wheelchair and he's going to live with you. We'll let him stay here with you because you're going to take care of him. But we can't expect that the whole world can come to America and we'll give them free health care and food and, and housing. We will go bankrupt. Our schools are having financial issues. The Congressional Budget Office did a study back in, in, seven, in 07 or 06 and found that it costs 20 to 40 percent more to educate kids who can't speak, read, or write English. Now, add to that the fact that we have to pay for all those kids in the classrooms. Ask people how they would like to see the number of kids in their children's schools double in the classrooms. Nobody wants that. But if we have uncontrolled immigration, that's what we wind up with. There are real-world implications for these decisions. You know, in theory, it sounds wonderful and romantic. We'll feed the world. It's like the beauty queen, and they ask her for her platform. She's 19 years old, and she barely out, she's barely out of high school. What's your platform? Like, this is a woman who's going to be the, the, the next president of the United States, and she's like, end world hunger. Wow. Does anybody ever follow up and say, how do you plan to do it? Of course not. So when the president says, look, we can't afford to be the innkeeper to the world, he gets attacked. But what happens when we run out of money and we can't care for our own children? We can't provide early intervention for American children with learning disabilities. We have a problem keeping our hospital solvent as Americans are getting sick. Charity begins at home. We ought to be looking at America's poor, America's minorities, and seeing what we can do to make their lives the best that we can and create for them the greatest opportunities possible. That's what countries should be doing for their own citizens. Um, there's a credit card company that says membership has its rewards. I would suggest, folks, citizenship should also have its rewards. I thank you for spending this past hour with me. I plan to be joining you again next week on my program. I hope you have a great weekend. And please remember one fundamental fact. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Please get involved. Please uh, speak to your neighbors. Read my articles. Forward them to those uh, folks that you are talking to about these issues. 
and, and really get involved. That's the burden that we all have as Americans. Um, it's the job all Americans must do. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you next week.